You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. You have not noticed this morning kind of a theme in our music, and that is that we have only one place to go to find hope, to find refuge, to find strength. And that is to Jesus. And that is really the foundation of our text this morning. Uh, John chapter 6, as you know so far, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Chapter 20 and verse 31. Well, this is our final week in John chapter 6, where Jesus, by the way, is in full view now. Uh, uh, as the, the bread of life. He is the provision of God for a spiritually desperate people. That's the picture that we see in John 6. Of course, it is the echo of the Exodus story. And it is just as applicable today. Jesus is the one who is sent from heaven. He is our sustenance. He is our protection. Ultimately, He is our salvation and our eternal life. And all things in the Old Testament and the Exodus event were a shadow pointing to Jesus as the one who is the very substance of the promise of God to redeem. And so last week, his provision found its pinnacle in the Passover celebration. As you know, he proclaimed himself to be the Passover lamb. And Jesus said in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And so as we were reminded reminded last week, the Passover event was when death came to Egypt as the result of their sinful rebellion. And the people, if they were going to escape death, if they had any hope of escaping death and the judgment of God, they had to sacrifice the Passover lamb and put the blood over the doorpost and eat the Passover meal. And it was through their faith in God that God ultimately would save them from this judgment to come. And what Jesus says in John chapter 6 is, I am your Passover lamb, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, unless you fully embrace what I've done for you on the cross or what I will go to do for you on the cross, not merely as religious sacrament, but in reality, then you have no real spiritual life in you, is what Jesus says. So it brings us to the realization that it is possible to do all the religious things that people do, to know all the things that religious people know, even to be numbered among the religious people, and yet have no real life in you and prove to be a false disciple. What happens next in the story has profound significance on what we understand to be spiritual life and what it really means to be a disciple and As you consider your own life this morning, your own heart, your own walk with Jesus, our response to him and being a disciple, what that really, really means. And I would call each of us as we consider the word this morning to evaluate based on what God says it is to be a disciple, whether you truly are this morning a real disciple of Jesus or not. So if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. So we look to John chapter 6 and verse 60 to the end of the chapter this morning. The Bible says when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, 
Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by My Father. After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it shines light into our own hearts. And that as Your Word says, it pierces even to the joints and the marrow. God, Your Word has a way of evaluating who we are and what we believe and the things that we do and the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so I pray this morning that it would bring separation between what is real belief, what it really means to be a disciple, and the false ideas that are believed around us and even potentially among us. And I pray that this morning as a result, you would affirm and encourage the saved to continue to run the race. And that you would call the lost to repent and to believe. And that everyone in this place this morning would leave as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Here is the statement again, in case you were not with us last week, but just by way of reminder so that it sets the scene or the tone of the passage. Because if you begin just at verse 60, and, and it says that when many of His disciples heard it, it might be a little confusing for you. What is the it that Jesus was, or, or that John tells us about as He narrates the passage? Well, if you back up to verse 53, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on, that, on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And as we looked at last week, this is very clearly a picture of Jesus being our Passover lamb. And we celebrate the reality that our sins are forgiven in His shed blood and His broken body for us at the cross. Praise the Lord this morning for the Gospel. Amen, church? Praise the Lord. We celebrate that forgiveness. And yet, He says to them, you are, there is no life in you if you do not. If you do not partake. And the disciples here in verse 60, it says, When many of His disciples or followers or learners heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Jesus, what you have said is not only hard to understand, I would validate that, but the picture here, the word is not just hard to understand, but hard to receive. It's the idea of being offended at what Jesus said. Jesus, Your words don't sit well with us. Your claims and Your demands, they're too much. What You're asking us to do makes us really uncomfortable. In fact, they would make anyone uncomfortable, Jesus. This isn't something anyone can receive. Who could listen to this? Who could receive this? Jesus is claiming something that brings offense to the crowd, and so He responds to their offense with a rebuke. He basically says, if the words I have said to you are now offensive to you, then certainly the words that are coming and all the things that are yet to be seen, the, the death 
that I'm going to die, the resurrection that I'm going to be raised in, the ascending to the throne of heaven, all of those things will be even more offensive to you if you cannot receive what I have just said. But we'll come back to that. Verse 64, he says, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew beginning, beginning from the beginning who those were who, would not, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come, can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. And listen to what verse 66 says. Some of the most tragic words of Scripture. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is a group of people who were numbered among the disciples. They were there when Jesus did the miracle. They did everything they could to find Jesus when He disappeared. They went to the other side, made the walk to see Jesus. They wanted to hang out for His teaching. They wanted to hear all of these things. And they ate with them. They drank with them. They, they sat underneath the preaching and the teaching of Jesus. They witnessed His miracles. They were even known, which is the reason why John refers to them as such, they were even known at some point as disciples of Jesus. But these followers, for all accounts and purposes, appeared to be followers of Jesus. But when what was required of them became too hard, too much, too offensive, the demands were too great. When it got to the point that they got a little uncomfortable, they turned and walked away. Friend, I want to tell you that there are scores of people in the church today who are who were, many of them, numbered, and some of them still are, numbered among the church. Many who are even members of the church. And they eat with the church. They drink with the church. They sit under preaching and teaching. They witness miracles of God within the church family. They're even known by the other disciples of Jesus as disciples. They seem on the surface to be followers of Jesus. So for all accounts and purposes, they appear to be real. But when following Jesus proves to be too difficult, too uncomfortable, too inconvenient, when it doesn't fit in with the schedule, or it simply demands too much of their life, they walk away. The Bible calls this apostasy. It's what Jesus would describe as dead branches in John chapter 15. Do you remember the story there? The vine and the branches and all of these branches that don't bear fruit. And Jesus says that all of those have to be cut and piled, gathered and burned. These are those who are apostates. Or it might be. What Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 25 is the great separation between the sheep and the goats. There are those among us who look like Christians, who talk like Christians, who live in some sense like Christians, but in reality there is no real following of Jesus in their hearts. In fact, the commitment is often so elusive in the way that it appears that it could be someone who is among the closest followers of Jesus, namely Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, who no one knew would be the betrayer except for Christ Himself. But that does bring about an important truth, doesn't it? Jesus is never fooled by our pretense. Jesus always knows our heart. That's why when we get to verse 64, it says, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew, not from that moment, looking them in the eye, it says that Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who would not believe, and not only them, but the one who is called Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray Him, and yet He chose Him. Jesus knew from the beginning who would believe and who would not believe, even to the depths of the inner circle. He knew the difference between real belief and false belief. And who it was who was a real disciple. We've already seen this, by the way, in John chapter 2. Remember, he himself knew what was in man. Friend, can I tell you, make no mistake about it. 
Jesus knows with perfect clarity who in this room this morning or joining us online, He knows who is a real disciple and who is a false disciple. So who were these false disciples? Well, there are some characteristics that stand out about these disciples that bring into sharper focus what we're trying to see John say to us here in this text. Number one, these false disciples do not remain in Jesus' Word. This is the first characteristic we see that makes them false disciples. They do not remain in Jesus' Word. They find it hard The teaching of Jesus, they find it hard and they wonder who can accept it. It's not something that sits well with them. And again, the word hard here does not mean hard to understand, although that would be true in some senses. It's hard to accept. It's the idea of being harsh or offensive. They find it intolerable. They do not receive them or obey them. They do not receive or obey the words of Jesus. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people in the church today who are hearers of the Word only and not doers. Once they hear the Word of God, they're willing to entertain the thoughts that are there, but they're not willing to obey what they see. They're very quick to dismiss the Word of God as intolerable or outdated or offensive. They do not continue. Or there may be an initial kind of obedience to Christ that eventually just kind of just kind of falls apart and and they eventually walk away from the Word. And Jesus says these are not real disciples. It is a false kind of belief. The second thing is that false disciples are only interested in Christian benefits. False disciples are only interested in Christian benefits. One of the blessings of following Jesus, all the good things... But they don't accept all that Jesus has to offer. And this was the crowd, wasn't it? Verse 26, backing up in our story, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. In other words, not for the spiritual content of what it it is I bring you, but because you ate your fill on the loaves. It's an amazing thing. How many people want the benefits of following Jesus without actually following Jesus? God, would you bless my life? God, would you provide protection? God, would you do this? Would you do that for me? And oftentimes people come bargaining with God, right? Before they ever even trust in Jesus. God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do that for you. And we come with chips on the table. The problem is the Bible describes that as a false belief. This is the very thing that characterizes this crowd. Jesus, I want the bread that you have to offer, but I'm unwilling to follow your word. False disciples are only interested in Christian benefits. Third, false disciples only are only interested in their own kingdoms. They're only interested in their own kingdoms. It's a political kind of thing for them. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, To make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. How many of us want to prop up Jesus for our own worldview or our own kingdom or our own desires? If you come to Jesus, this will happen in your life. If you come to Jesus, that will happen in your life. We make plans and then we sprinkle a little Jesus on it and then we, we think that it's somehow blessed. We, we want to build our own kingdom and make Jesus the poster boy for our kingdom. This is actually the story of American Christianity in so many ways. We formulate our own thoughts and our own views of the world and then we make Jesus the king of those thoughts and those views. And the danger is that we will go on serving our own kingdoms, but it is not King Jesus that we serve. It is a false gospel. False disciples are only interested in their own kingdoms. Fourth, false disciples are attracted only to the spectacular. They're not interested in the mundane. Not interested in the routine. Verse 30 says, So they said to him, Then what, do, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This crowd's doing the same thing that the crowd in Exodus did. God sent the crowd out into, Exodus, out into the wilderness just to follow him. You trust me every day of your life. Listen, there's a news flash, and that is that Christianity is not always the spectacular. Sometimes following Jesus is just simply discipline and routine and facing every new day following Jesus. And sometimes that can get into the murk and the mire, and these are the moments oftentimes where those who are looking for the spectacular and always the big show realize that they've not followed the Jesus that they thought that they did. False disciples are attracted only to the spectacular. We're called to follow Jesus every day. Fifth, false disciples are unwilling to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. This is huge. We want Jesus to be our Savior, but we don't necessarily want Him to be our Lord. Verse 43, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And then, implying that these teachers that He's speaking to, who know the law well, have no knowledge of God because they're not taught by God, because they do not come underneath Jesus. Verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they will be... They will all be taught by God. And he says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Implying that they're not learning from God because they're not coming to Jesus as the way to God. They're not submitting their lives to Jesus. Friend, can I tell you that to follow Jesus, to become a Christian, a disciple, is to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus. It is to come under His rule and His authority. Because Jesus is Savior and He is Lord and we must come to obedience, come in obedience to Christ and His Lordship. And there's one final one here, and that is that false disciples value their tradition above the truth. They value their tradition above the truth. Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. They're relying on this story. They're relying on their heritage, their tradition, their their ethnicity, their being the ones who came from this people who were led by Moses in the wilderness. There's already been provision made, the people are saying. And what Jesus says is, no, God is giving you the true bread that is from heaven. For in any time that we value our tradition over the truth, we have a false gospel. We are false disciples. And there are many people who are following one faith tradition or another, and yet they've never met Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, there is not a church on the planet that can save you and not a tradition on the planet that can save you. Only Jesus can save you. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus and let tradition come in subservient role, come under the lordship of Jesus itself. any Any tradition that trumps truth is not a good tradition at all. These are just a few that we see here in this passage, and there are any number of other ways that we evidence being a false disciple. So what does it mean to be a true disciple? This is where we get to the heart of what Jesus has for us this morning. So here Jesus is, and He's teaching, and He's shared all of these things, and these disciples just simply walk away. And Jesus looks at the twelve and He asks the question. A question that should be answered by every single person in this room this morning. Do you want to go away as well? Will you walk away is the question. 
Will you be the one who hears the claims of Jesus and continues all the way to the end? Or will there be some point in your Christian life where you say, enough's enough. I thought I knew what this was, but I'm not so sure anymore. I'm going to walk away. Will you be the one who says, you know, this grass once looked pretty green, but it's, it's getting kind of brown now. And I think the grass is greener over here on this other side. So I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow this way of life. Do you go away from what Jesus said, having fully known the gospel? Can I tell you and warn you, there is great danger in that. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that to know the sacrifice of Christ and to turn away from it is to trample the blood of the Son of God underfoot. It is to be in a worse position than you were before. It is to know the truth and yet to not believe the truth. It is to walk away. And the Gospel of John is a book that calls us to decide on this issue. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that belief is shown to be not a one-time profession of faith in Christ. That belief is said to be a following of Jesus that continues to follow Jesus every day of your life. It is not to say that there is not ebb and flow in your Christian life. We all come to places where we turn away and we try to do things our own way and God by His grace brings us back. Amen? you thankful for that? But a person who says, I'm going to follow Jesus and makes a profession of faith and yet walks away from Christ and does not follow Him is a false disciple. We need to understand that this morning. Because to follow Jesus means to obediently follow Him. It's to become a follower of Jesus. And Peter provided the answer that represents the question, the answer that all of us should answer to this question. He says in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus says, will you walk away? Will you go somewhere else? There is a kind of faith that bases everything that it does on trying everything and trying to find something that will satisfy. But Peter's response is just the opposite, isn't it? He asks the question, where else can we go? Jesus, of course we're not going to leave. Is there anywhere else we can go? No one else has the words of eternal life. You have those words. And this is the response that every real follower of Jesus has to Jesus. Jesus, I don't have any other hope. Where else can I go? I don't find life anywhere else. I don't find eternal life anywhere else, especially... And why would I trade eternal life? Why would I forfeit my soul in in order to gain anything else in this world? Jesus, you have everything for me. Where else can I go? In other words, real followers of Jesus follow his word as their source, their only source of life. Real followers of Jesus follow his word as their only source of life. Where else can we go? In the midst of a casual, cultural Christianity that sees being a Christian as making sure that you are in church on Sunday or at least at Christmas and Easter and follow when you feel like it, follow when it's convenient, follow when it makes you feel good, follow when you're in a good mood, follow when it works out your way or when... Things are easy, but when it gets too hard, when it gets difficult, when we begin to fall away, that kind of a Christian experience, this flies right in the face of, doesn't it? Because real followers of Jesus follow His Word as their only source of life. There, there is a sense that you don't have any other hope. A real certainty that only Christ can meet this need in your life. Peter's response is decisive here, isn't it? There's no hesitation. It's not, hey Jesus, I'm going to listen to you a little bit more and then I'm going to make my decision. No, there's no reluctancy here. 
Peter, Peter has this decisive spirit about him, which doesn't always stay the same, and we'll come back to that later in John, but Peter has this decisiveness about him that he wants to follow Christ because he knows he doesn't have any other hope. There's a dependency here. He knows he needs Jesus. His greatest need, Jesus has met. And he has no ability to meet that need on his own. He's fully dependent on Christ. And there's a sense of desperation here. Almost like that person who's looking for any food that they can find. (laughs) If I can just get this meal, then I'll be okay. And what Peter is saying is, I'm desperate for, for you, Jesus. I, I need you, Jesus. Nothing else is going to meet my need. Can I ask you this morning, just in the quietness of your own heart, does that describe your relationship with Jesus? Are you decisive in your following Him without any reluctance, no hesitation, Are you living in wholehearted dependence upon Him because you know you have no other hope? Are you desperate for Him? Do you come after Jesus even as He has pursued you? Do you come after Him by faith wanting your whole life to be about Jesus? I only want to know Christ and, and Him crucified and resurrected and Him living in my life and doing things through my life. Is that the story of your life? Because this is what marks the life of a true disciple. So how do we know? How do we know if we're living in this way? Because we don't want just kind of a subjective feeling approach to this. We want to measure, based on the objective truth of God's Word, whether I truly come to Jesus because I have nowhere else to go. That's truly my life. If I'm really chasing after, clinging to His Word as my only source of hope. There are five things that we see in this passage about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this way. Number one, it means submitting to the authority of Jesus. Submitting to the authority of Jesus. So what Jesus says to the crowd shines light on Peter's response. This is interesting because the whole contrast is you have those that Jesus is saying you don't really believe and they turn and walk away. And, and Jesus poses this question to the, to the twelve, named among them Judas Iscariot, but Peter pipes up as he always does. Peter's always that guy that speaks out among the, among the crowd, so oftentimes putting his foot in his mouth, but he does so. And, and this is the one, he says, where else can I go? So there's, there's contrast between those who are... If it gets too tough, we're going to we're out. And these people who say we're going to continue to follow even when you said that. So what is the that that led Peter to continue? Verse 61, the middle of it. He says, do you take offense at this? Speaking to the crowd. Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? What does Jesus mean by Him ascending to where He was before. Well, Jesus took on flesh and He became a man in order that He might die for the sins of the world. And what Jesus does at the end of His life is He ascends to the heavenly home, the place at the right hand of the throne of God, the place of rule and reign. He leaves heaven to become a servant, to die the death of a cross, in order that He might be exalted by God and lifted back up to this place of heavenly reign and rule. Never once, never once at any point, absolving Himself of authority, but coming to this place where He would enter into His creation. And what He's saying is, if you take offense that God Himself would walk among you and and teach you, if you take offense to these words, that I am your Passover Lamb, what will you do when I'm seated on the throne of heaven? What will you do when you realize that my authority is supreme and over all things? 
In other words, if you can't take Jesus walking with you and being your friend every day and teaching you every day, then certainly you're not going to be able to receive Jesus as Lord over your life, as sovereign authority. This is what was offensive to them. This hard saying, his rebuke is, where do you see where I really stand? And by the way, I think that it's not just where he's ascending to, but it's the ascent to get there. Because remember that Israel was not expecting a king that would come and sit on the throne of heaven. They're expecting a king that would sit on the throne of Israel that would restore them as a nation. And he would not go there through his own death. He would go there as eternal, reigning, powerful king. Remember, they were building their own kingdom. They were interested in Jesus being the authority over all that they wanted to happen. But when Jesus began to set the rules, when He said, it's my reign and it's going to happen through my death, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to declare victory over sin and then I'm going to rise from the dead and declare victory over death and then I'm going to ascend to heaven and show that I am Lord over all things. And not only that, but we fast forward the story and we see that Jesus is coming in power and glory, that He is going to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords over all kings and over all kingdoms and all thrones. Jesus will be Lord over all. This is what it means for Jesus to be an authority. And we must, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, submit to the authority of Jesus in our life. It's easy for us to receive Jesus being an authority over all the things that we want Him to be. But His authority is... Universal. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. To be a false disciple is to reject His authority. But to be a follower of Jesus is to say, you know what? I'm not in charge of my life anymore. It's not my will to be done. It is to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. It is to submit my life fully to Christ so that He reigns over my life. And it's not that we put Him in a place of authority. He's already there. Praise God, Jesus already is Lord of all. Amen, church? He's already Lord over all things. You can hope in that. But there is a way for us to kick against His authority in our life. And so many of us found guilty of doing this. And what, what Jesus is saying is, if you're a follower of Me, You're going to submit to my lordship and my authority. Secondly, turning from all that offends Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus who follows his word as the only source of our life? Where else can we go? If we're going to come to Jesus, we must turn from all that offends him. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 63 at the first half of it. Jesus says it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. What is He saying? He's speaking to a crowd who's taking the Passover celebration. They're taking the feast and the elements of Passover. They're doing this ritual, this, this, this sacrament, this religious exercise. And yet in them, we know that there is no belief. Jesus has already declared that. All that they are doing is this constant religious routine. But they're trusting in, they're they're relying on their own abilities, their own strength. It is the flesh. The flesh in Scripture is nothing more than just humanness. It's our It's our sin and our self-effort and our self-righteousness. Everything that we can muster up, every plan that we can make. And since the very beginning of time, that has only brought destruction and chaos into our world. From the very moment that we chose to follow our own path instead of following after what God has said to do, sin entered the world, death is a result, and the whole world is in constant turmoil and chaos because we've sinned against God. The only way that we come and follow Jesus is to turn away from all of that, seeing it not just as something that is that is a benefit, something that we should do because it's helpful, right? But in the same way that the crowd sees the flesh of Jesus as an offense, we now come to the place that we see our own flesh as an offense to God. 
And we choose, instead of the flesh, we choose the Spirit because we've been born by the Spirit. And that's what changes in us. We're born again, we begin to follow Jesus, and we're turning away from all of those things that offend Him. We're no longer offended by His words, we're actually offended by the opposite of His words. And that comes as a result of new birth. Clearly this is a reference to their fleshly efforts which were sinful. And it was an indictment. Any dependence upon ourselves is false discipleship. We come and we depend upon Christ. We follow Him with all that we are. Turning away from all that is fleshly and turning to Christ. Which leads to the third thing. And that is embracing the Word of Jesus. Embracing the Word of Jesus. The latter half of verse 63 says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words which, by the way, are now contained here. God's Word. And Jesus says these words are spirit and life. Peter responds to Jesus' question and he says, I don't know where else to go. I've got to come to your word because your words are the words of eternal life. Like, there's no life in anything else but your words, Jesus. And remember, Jesus has just finished saying, What? I'm the bread of life. None of us would dream of, of going days and days and days without eating, right? You might miss a meal or two, and some of us maybe, maybe a few more than that. But at the end of the day, we want to eat because we know without food we'll starve, right? Without water, we'll thirst to death. We, we have to have these things to eat. And what Peter is saying, Jesus, I, I have to have Your Word. There's nowhere else I can go. I have no other hope. I need Your Word as nourishment to my soul. Because without it, I'll die spiritually. I need Your words. Your words are the words of eternal life. The very thing in question in this passage is the Word of Christ, isn't it? They say, who can even accept what you're saying, Jesus? And this is the mantra of our culture, is it not? Who can accept this Word? Christians have come to the point, disciples have come to the point that says, how can we accept anything else? Because your Word is life. Jesus, by the way, will make that clear in John 8. When he says that those who continue in my word are truly my disciples. John 8 and verse 31. It's to embrace the word. To receive it. To treasure it. To obey it. To rely upon it for our spiritual nourishment. It is what Psalm 63 says. It is to come to the place that his words are better than life. I would rather die than not have the word of God. Or Psalm 119 describing it as better than treasure like ruby and diamonds. Like I put it in perspective as one commentator does. It is is like I would rather have God's Word than my next paycheck. It's an amazing picture. Like this this is my treasure and my joy. It is everything to me. Without this, I die. And this is what Peter says. I'm desperate for your Word. So we come embracing the Word of Jesus. Can I just say as an aside, it is tragic how many professing believers live on 45 to 50 minutes of Bible every week. It is tragic How many Christians, professing Christians, never open the pages of God's Word themselves? So we must, we must come hungry for His Word. Fourth, I want to just tell you a story before I before I get to number four. I I can I I just want to tell you. She's not here this morning and hopefully she's not listening on live stream because I hate to embarrass my kids. I really do, especially when it's something positive. 
for the past month, six weeks. I've been getting up in the mornings as I normally would and going and getting kids up for school shortly thereafter. And I've walked into Abby's room to see her with the flashlight on her phone sitting in her chair in her room with her Bible spread open on her lap. And can I tell you, it is the most satisfying picture in all of the world. That that we would come to the place that the first thing on our minds, and I might just preach here, we might just have to save the rest for next week, that the most satisfying thing on our minds and on our hearts is that we would not wake up and open up social media, but that we would get up and open up God's Word. Oh, how guilty we are of looking at the latest news stream to determine the direction of our day rather than looking at God's Word to determine the direction of our day. Real disciples hunger for the Word. Fourth, Trusting in the grace of Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? We're trusting in His grace. Talked about this a lot so far and a lot last week, but verse 65, and He said, this is why I told you. (laughs) So He's already said this. He said, this is why I told you. No one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by the Father. Jesus' argument here is that they take offense to what He's saying because they do not believe, but that that faith is impossible apart from grace. We need God to open our hearts to believe the gospel. That's the connection. He says in verse 64, There are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning those who, uh, those, uh, beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me. He knew from the beginning. Coming to Jesus is not of our own doing. Real disciples embrace that. Real disciples don't take credit for their own salvation. They don't take credit for their own kingdom success. Real disciples realize that everything that, good, that is good that happens in our life is the result of God doing it. Real disciples give all glory and all honor to God because God is the one who ultimately is sovereign. The desperation in Peter's question, where else can I go? I don't have anywhere else to go. What else am I supposed to do? See, real disciples come bankrupt before God. We realize that we have nothing to offer Him. There are no chips to be laid down. There's nothing to place on the table. Only a a trust in the grace of God by faith. Surrendering everything is what it means to follow Jesus. And fifth, confessing the person of Jesus. Confessing the person of Jesus. Verse 68 When Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Notice built into that. He's not just saying you have the words of eternal life. He's saying, listen, this is who you've shown us to be. Who who you've shown us that you are. He says, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Holy One. Who is the Holy One? The One whom they've been waiting for. The One who is the very substance of every promise of God. The One in whom every promise of God is yes and amen. Jesus is the Christ, the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He is all that He claims to be. It is not to come and receive some made-up view of Jesus that you create in order to be more comfortable with Christianity. To confess Jesus is to confess the Jesus of the Bible. You've got to believe the Jesus of the Bible, otherwise it is being a false disciple. And what Peter says is that's the Jesus we're looking to. That's the Jesus we know. So, real disciples, real followers of Jesus, follow His Word as their only source of life. Where else can you go? So let me just simply ask you this morning, not by your own measure, but by the measure of the word. Are you a true disciple or are you a false disciple? Even among the closest, there was one who was not a true disciple. It is entirely possible this morning 
that there is someone here who does not know Christ in reality. And the call of the Bible this morning is that you would come and trust Him. That you would say, where else can I go but to Christ? And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, this morning, that is God's invitation to you. To come and trust in Christ with all that you are. To come to Him in desperation, in total surrender, turning from all that offends Him and coming to Him as the only true and living God, the One who alone is able to save you, the One who is in authority over all things that you must submit your life to, the One to whom you say, I trust in Your grace, the grace that was given to me at the cross when Jesus, You died for me, And you rose again. I give you my life. I I put my faith in you. I don't have anywhere else to turn. Jesus, will you save me today? I want to follow you with my life. I want to become a follower. Not one who walks away. but One who walks with you all the days of my life. Would you come to Jesus this morning? With every head bowed, every eye closed, in a few moments we're going to stand together. And if that is the cry of your heart, I want to invite you to step out of the place where you'll be standing. Come down this aisle and say today, Pastor, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to become a follower. Maybe you're here in this room and you're reminded of some ways that your walk with Jesus needs to be closer. There was a time where you trusted in Christ. You've kind of been in that season where you're not following as closely, still following but maybe a little farther behind than what you would like. What Jesus would desire of you. So would you walk with Him closer today? Make that commitment to follow Jesus closer? Whichever the case is, whether you need to follow Jesus closer this morning or follow Him for the very first time, this altar is open and we invite you to come. All across this room, would you stand with me? God, we ask that You would have Your way in this place. And as Your invitation begins... We ask that you would help us to respond in faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.